0: welcome to this week next week from group m i'm brian Weezer.
1: i'm kate scott dawkins
0: uh thanks for joining us we're hopefully going to have a fun little conversation with uh our, our last episode of the year the last one oh my god it's been such a slog uh well, i'm not not <laughs> i know i know this is only our second episode and we can say our last of the year because the last one was a pilot and i don't know what do you what do you call something that's next to the pilot
1: no, it, it needs a word like penultimate. I like using penultimate, but it's, you know, the other direction, second after the first.
0: I was going to call it the co-pilot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, we're keeping the puns going here. All right. Um, so uh, anyways, uh, with the holidays up ahead, uh, are you, uh, you going to spend all your time um, studying uh, securities filings and uh, census documents, uh, et cetera, like I am?
1: Yeah, I I didn't get enough of Excel in the SEC website this year. So i got to cram all that in before before next year.
0: You know, one of my favorite moments of this past year actually was going through the Roblox S1 with my 11 year old.
1: Yeah, you did mention that I think I've got a couple years before we're uh, we're starting that as a nighttime reading activity
0: true although and and this is maybe a good segue into uh some of the news of the week you know reddit is about to put its uh, new filings out for, well but filed to go public uh, according to reports and uh I think I might go through that with my 14 year old would you do that
1: uh it's gonna be interesting I mean I think they definitely heard a lot more from the agency planners and, and strategists in the last year around using reddit as a as a channel, in addition to um, sort of maybe the platforms that were being used longer by by media planners, like a Twitter. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they have in their filings as a, a plan for monetization.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, now I gotta say Reddit is something that's it's really interesting. I've, I've heard some um, some characterize it as a like a creature of a different age, right? Like because it came about in two thousand five, I think. Um, have you were you a Reddit user in the way back?
1: I'm not actually um I've again been more familiar with it recently but it always felt um you know a, a bit more the outskirts of social platforms
0: yeah it's true although it'll be really interesting to see how this does now if they do have a few hundred million dollars of revenue um yeah i mean hey they're big enough they'll get a decent valuation if they want to raise capital i'm sure they will um but uh i, I don't know i mean it's interesting i i Well, here's my take, and i be curious to hear yours. Uh, I think it stays like a niche platform for the foreseeable future. Uh, It just doesn't seem to be something that every consumer will use. I think I've used it a handful of times. Uh, One reason or another, a search result led me there. Uh, It does seem like those who love it really love it as consumers. And then from a marketer perspective, there's enough of an audience there. It's contributes to diversification of spending across uh, channels. So it could be successful, but uh, I mean, what do you think?
1: Well, I've, I've heard it referenced often when people are talking about trying to find maybe some of those more niche subcultures or groups and you have cottage core and folks that are into all sorts of things. And I think there's a, a sense that they find homes on Reddit um, where they can be you know, reached or engaged with in a conversation. Um, but with any network that relies on user generated content, you you just have to be looking into the the brand safety considerations as well.
0: Really true, really true. What else uh, caught your uh, cut your attention this past week?
1: I mean, it was hard to ignore all of the fanfare and then back and forth around the Peloton ad starring Chris Noth. Um I mean they killed him off on sex and city i didn't watch the reboot live but definitely read about it the next day and then i know there were varying opinions across agencies and industry folk i liked the ryan reynolds take um and then of course we've seen it pulled now after allegations you know what i'm not gonna say anything one way or the other who knows um but yeah it was an interesting roller coaster ride this week what do you what do you think what's your take
0: well, Peloton's brand awareness is up one way or the other. Uh, that's, uh, that's probably, you know, the, at minimum, that's an outcome. Uh, but I think that there's a, there's a bunch of bigger narratives at play for the marketing uh, world around the need and capacity of the industry to provide those really rapid responses and just always being able to both go on and, as we saw here, pull off as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, not just being—it's not just about being always on, but but also being able to be always off if uh, if that's the right answer. So I thought I, I think it's something that uh, people will be talking about this this week for Peloton for quite some time to come.
1: It's an interesting use—I mean, opportunity to use more mm-hmm. artificial intelligence in creative mm-hmm. as well. I think if you're needing something to be turned around really quickly, the, the benefit of using technology and is a potential to have a bunch of ideas, all at once, right generated, and then you have the human capacity to, to filter through those and maybe find the best ones that work. I'm not sure that's what they did in this case. But um, you know, if, if Ryan Reynolds isn't going to be available for every brand turn <laughs> turnaround, there are other options
0: well the human element is the thing that stands out to me more because i think at the end of the day you need people who can react and and creatively do so uh on very short notice uh to to sustain a modern brand
1: uh but how great if they had you know like i mean not that they have time to go through thousands of ideas but you get a bunch of ideas maybe that other people haven't thought of comes from left field could be interesting I feel like this is going to be a recurring theme where we get a, a pro tech and uh, <laughs> pro human side of creativity conversation going.
0: Absolutely. Just stay tuned for our, uh upcoming uh, survey for CES. There's a bit of a preview. Um, we'll probably talk about it next time.
1: Yeah. Uh, what else did you see in the headlines this week that caught your eye?
0: Uh, you know, I thought it was uh, one topic around streaming uh, related activities that I thought was really interesting. Uh, you know, there's a brand new uh, facility, studio facility in the UK that's opening up. Um, you know, got a bunch of press around it. Disney is a, an anchor tenant, uh, really just highlighting the commitment of spend that they have to the United Kingdom paired with new data on just how much money is being spent on uh, film and television production in the UK. Six billion pounds, I think it was in the last 12 months. Uh, It is nothing short of staggering just how much money is going into uh, streaming-related content and video production in general.
1: Yeah, and the UK, I mean, it feels like it's always had an outsized impact on culture in general for their size. I was just um, chatting with someone the other day about how many of the bands we know or, or artists we know from, especially like the 70s, 60s, 70s, came out of the UK. I mean, really astounding.
0: Yeah, although I guess I'm, that's absolutely true. And I think the content that gets filmed there uh, will absolutely play globally. But I, I, I guess I read it as uh, symptomatic of the scale of investment going into services by mostly American giants in markets around the world. I think we've certainly, you know, I've talked about the, the scale of a, a Netflix in South Korea, or now the Um, soon to be in in the Basque language uh, in Spain. I mean, if you're you're operating in Spain, you will have Basque content. You will have Catalan content. And unfortunately for the European uh, broadcasters in particular, they're just, other than Nordic entertainment, they're not investing enough in a a global platform. There's no interest on the part of most European broadcasters investing in a global streaming platform.
1: What does it take for them to... I don't know wake up to this like they they must have folks in their ear you're in their ear telling them that they should be investing more so um what is it what does it take i mean if cheap capital continues will there be appetite
0: i think they need ambition i mean it's as simple as that when you think about uh in observation from having been an analyst uh, talking with institutional investors but both sides of the atlantic most investors want to hear companies talk about a long-term vision they want to see progress towards that long-term vision the investors do not want to focus on quarterly or semi-annual results they only do so when they don't trust that management has a long-term vision or the capacity to actually execute on it if any of the uh, European broadcasters said our ambition over the next five or ten years is to build a global platform that will have revenues that are 5x what we currently have it will take x billion pounds or euros of capital to get there we have these people in place we have this plan to do it and if it was coming from someone with credibility to make that claim uh investors would wildly support it you only hear that coming from nordic entertainment you do not hear it coming from any of uh the free air broadcasters right now um, i don't know if you've had any observations on that
1: no, I mean, let's uh, hope they get their acting gear. I can only imagine that Omicron is going to um, make pr- live production maybe more difficult in some ways for getting ramped up. So um, hopefully it, it doesn't into next year too drastically. Um, talking about ambition, was looking at uh, news on the EV market. This is something we talked about before with supply chain and the fact that um, you know, if one company isn't able to get their components probably because another is. Uh, and I know Ford this week was talking about um, you know it's not necessarily semiconductor shortages, it's eP battery shortages. Um, and this is some place where they're having to figure out how to prioritize some vehicles over others, right? Those more expensive vehicles um if they're going to have a shortage, and that's that's where the batteries are going.
0: Yeah, well, th- I guess it's a good news, bad news story in the sense that uh, uh, all of these shortages are leading to fewer car sales. I guess that might be a good thing from an environmental perspective, per- perhaps, or a manufacturing perspective. But obviously that impacts labor, that impacts uh, all, all sorts of different uh, local economies where, where that's happening. But from a marketing perspective, I, you know, I'm coming down on the side of... M- auto manufacturers aren't necessarily going to reduce their spending by very much even with ongoing supply chain shortages. What do you think?
1: Well, the demand is that, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's great news that even they, I guess, or most EV companies are surprised by just how great the consumer demand is for these vehicles. Um, and so it finally feels like some of that tide is turning in markets that maybe weren't as quick as China and uh, Scandinavia, the Scandinavian market and getting into EVs. So Um, The demand is there and you want to be in front of those people with your brand and those options when they're thinking about buying, even if it takes a while for that car to actually get delivered. So uh, I thought this would be fun this week to chat about some of the myths. I mean, you and I have been um, talking with investors and, and clients about this year, next year, the report on ad forecasts, and a lot of the questions we get asked point to Maybe some, you know, false assumptions or just myths that continue to exist in in the industry. And so I thought I'd ask which ones you've heard recently that we could chat about and maybe dispel in this, uh, in this format.
0: Let's see. Some of the ones that have come up, and it's always interesting to hear this one. Uh, there are people out there who believe agencies do not have a business model for the 21st century. Um, did you hear that?
1: I have. Um, I think there was a story even recently in today um, as well around how the sort of fear of or, or promise of consultancies from around 2017 just hasn't materialized um, well, in terms of competition to agencies.
0: Our own uh, Mark Reed has certainly pointed out um, how it, it does seem a little ironic that uh, investors would, would praise uh, consulting firms for investing in agencies while at the same time Knocking the agencies for being agencies? No, I mean there's always uh, um, a, a lot of misunderstanding. I think on the part of uh, external entities around the durability of agencies, why they exist, why they persist, how they can evolve, and and um, but I think it it is interesting. It definitely comes up in conversations with investors and and uh, with uh, others outside of outside of the business directly. What's um, what's one of the other myths that you've observed?
1: I think one of the things that came up a lot was around uh, data this year. Uh, Apple's changes, certainly maybe other regulations on the horizon. Um, Obviously, Europe went through GDPR. And that was something that in your research and, and what we're talking about now didn't appear to make a difference in terms of overall ad spend, but certainly influences the the workflows and the ways that agencies are measuring media.
0: The IDFA thing is just fascinating, though, right? I mean, because uh, I would say one of the two most important questions, or two most common questions, from um, investors and and from marketers too, where they think that clearly that would have to impact uh, advertising in a negative way, because hey, if you have worse data, uh, that must mean ROIs fall, and that therefore must mean that advertising falls, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know that enough people understand how, uh, the false precision that goes into so much data that's out there in the first place.
1: Well, and there are increasingly with a uh, marketer, uh, focus on first party data, ways to use owned data, um, where you're maybe less reliant on, um, needing to have other third party data. Uh, there's also been an uptick in, experimentation and use of contextual where again you're not relying on personal information to deliver customized ads um, so I think a lot of those are ways where the industry is had already pivoted and therefore was was ready when IDFA you know went away that it wasn't going to create too much drastic uh, blowback
0: yeah well and tying back to the first point you know I'm, I'm, I'm constantly reminded one of the senate hearings with uh um, with mark zuckerberg from uh, facebook was testifying several years ago around uh, disinformation on the platform and, and the presence of russians and uh, i don't know if you remember this exchange but it was uh, i think it was senator kennedy from louisiana who asked a question that was something along the lines of let me get this straight you have billions of data points that you're processing every second you're looking for political interference uh, from foreign actors and you didn't have a data point that was checking whether or not Russian rules were being used to buy political ads. And that, that that's really stuck in my head ever since that was said because it was such a great illustration of you can have all the data in the world, but if you're not, if you don't have a human identifying the right data to look for, the whole, all the data is useless. And I, and I, I think that's something that um, illustrates why it is that You can have half as much data, but be twice as good if you have better people identifying what to look for, what data to select, how to cut the data. Um, And that's uh, another reason why I think it's probably a myth.
1: Um, Anything else you want to draw out? I mean, we could talk about the things that people should be looking to as well new things for the coming year or um, trends you're seeing that you're expecting to, to make a bigger splash in 2022.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that the most interesting thing will be whether or not capital markets start to exhibit more discipline, if you will. Um, there are some stunning uh, valuations out there for companies that are generating um, relatively little revenue or very little profit. We, we talked last week about my little airplane venture, right? Maybe? Yep. Okay. Actually, now I wonder if I should like, um, I don't know, create a fake persona that that actually tries this venture just for fun and see, you know, we can see how it's going. And
1: uh, <laughs> I personally don't want to be on the hook for a billion dollar loan, but you know, you oh, do.
0: It'd be fun. It'd be fun. But I do think that uh, now that we saw this past week, uh, interest rates are starting to rise. Are they Certainly in the UK, we saw the first hike and the Jerome Powell certainly indicated as much for the US would be coming. Uh, I do wonder if cost of capital going up will actually curtail some of the growth i mean it's kind of embedded in our
1: forecasts
0: but i don't know what what do you think do you you have a favorite early stage mass scale company that you buy from
1: oh that's a good one i mean i've been watching uh certainly we talked about social commerce i've talked about social commerce this past year and so i think some of the super apps there are interesting um and still enough competition in the market where there are going to be acquisition marketing spend. Um, so I don't know, in the US, I mean, you're, you're also seeing all these apps start to announce ad, uh, ad sales, right? So right. DoorDash, um, you know, I don't know if you call that retail media, if it's a transportation <laughs> app, but I expect that that's going to continue.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that's where probably, I'm just like, I'm literally just looking at my phone, trying to see well, what apps have I downloaded? That would be representative of that. And I mean, it is interesting. like I, i'm I've always been anti-app. Did you
1: know that about me? I did not.
0: going back to two thousand uh, whatever ten, I agreed with Mark Zuckerberg, who needs an app?
1: <laughs> um, well, it's gone in cycles like everything else. You you know people are spend time in apps supposedly, and then mobile web and then apps and then. I mobile know. Web.
0: I just, I just really don't. I just never like the user experience of an app relative to the to a mobile web browser. So I constantly, I, I usually avoid downloading them, frankly. As a result, uh, and so what I do have on my phone um, that relates to what we were just talking about would be the food delivery services, and it does feel like they're they're mostly sustainable. But I have to say, I haven't tried any of these urgent delivery um, any of these urgent delivery uh, services that are out there. Um, Quick
1: commerce. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely already happening in APAC from talking to colleagues. And I think will happen certainly coming to city centers here as well, you know, get it in 45 minutes. Um, I'm not sure how good that is in terms of climate change. If you're ordering a candy bar and a soda and you want it in 30 minutes. um, But the money may be there to try and convince people that they should be doing it.
0: Yeah. What else do you think is going to happen this come year? What else are you looking forward to?
1: I mean, I'm really fascinated to see uh, kind of we're talking about the global content strategy play out. Um, I always love to have more good content, and certainly foreign language content is is always interesting as well. Um, I'm a big tech fan. (laughs) I already said that, so CES is always fascinating for me.
0: Yeah, well, I I think it will be interesting. I I would also point out that uh, some pessimism around. How much growth there is left for some of these uh, streaming services? Uh, you certainly hear about the idea of like subscription fatigue. I don't believe it exists. I think what we're seeing is that guess what? Because there was a shutdown and a slowdown in production in twenty twenty and parts of twenty one, you didn't have as much new content coming online, and then you didn't have the budgets ramping up uh, in twenty one. Those budgets are just starting to ramp up, and I think if there's we-
1: good content, yeah, people will. Pay for the service to watch it
0: that's exactly my point and i think that i don't think enough of the marketing world is paying attention to that fact that it's going to dramatically reduce the reach potential of traditional tv advertising in countries around the world
1: this does go back to well it ties into the peloton question in that with all this content i've always been quite bullish about uh, product placement and, and you know, more sponsorship rather than interruptive ads. Um, but I guess that calls into question whether the system is is built to um, do that well and at scale. That's always been the, the tricky part.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I do think that uh, these are some of the things we'll be dreaming about over the holidays uh, when we're not busy reading through the Reddit S1 with our family over the, in front of a fire with a hot cocoa
1: why dream of sugar plums when you can be dreaming about s1s
0: they're red just like red sugar plums right
1: all right thank you happy holidays
0: happy holidays see you in the new year
1: this week next week is hosted by me kate scott dawkins and brian weiser our producer is jared byman our showrunner is sam weston the views and opinions expressed here are our own and are not intended to represent those of group m or its clients If you have questions, comments, or requests for future segments, let us know at business.intelligence at groupm.com.